0: Hi everyone, this is Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Jeffrey Silva and Dr. Matthew Stokes, respectfully principal scientist in proteomics and director of proteomics at Cell Signaling Technology, who recently joined us for a webinar on the role of mass spectrometry-based proteomics on drug discovery, disease mechanisms, and biomarker identification. Let's jump right in. We'll kick things off with a nice question here. What is the advantage of using an antibody enrichment approach for biomarker discovery
1: instead of an unbiased total proteome workflow? I'm happy to take this. um, And uh, please, Matt, add add to this if if, uh, you think I've missed anything. I think this was, you know, something that I tried to cover in the presentation. You know, the idea being that you know, the antibodies are designed to hone in on that PTM site or PTM of interest, and it allows you to enrich for those, cast a wide net and enrich for those particular sites or prote- uh, proteins that are modulated with that PTM to link that to the disease or the mechanism of action for the drug. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. But uh, I, I think, Matt, if, if you have anything else to add, go ahead.
2: Yeah, sure. No, that was really good. I mean, I, I guess the first thing I would say is we like to do both, right? So, so we do a lot of total proteome work. Uh, we think that's a valuable component to any kind of you know, discovery experiment. But yeah, like, like you were saying, Jeff, I really think you know, when you're talking about mechanism of action – are so you talking about you know signaling pathways that may be activated or perturbed by a particular treatment, right? A lot of times, you really need to be looking at the PTM landscape to really get a sense of what's happening in that biological system. So, so I really like it that way. And then it's a, a case of really depth of coverage too, right? So, you know, just a total proteome experiment is not going to tell you anything about phosphotyrosine. And so, you know, doing an antibody-based enrichment and getting real depth of coverage of, for example, the tyrosine phosphoproteome is is something that can be really important for, for some facets of biology.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, great answer. All right, next one here. What type of proteomic service offering would you recommend for someone interested in prioritizing a series of drug candidates for targeted protein degradation? Yeah, so TBD is, is really hot right now. A lot of people working in the
2: area of, of targeted protein degradation. We're really excited about it as well and some of the opportunities that the technology is, is bringing to the fore. What we're seeing a lot of people doing for targeted protein degradation space, number one is total proteome analysis, obviously, right, looking at protein level changes and being able to quantify changes of, of thousands of proteins in your, in your samples. But another one that, that people are, are really excited about doing in the TPD space is ubiquitin proteomics, right, for obvious reasons. And, and Jeff showed some great examples of, of people leveraging our uh, ubiquitin enrichment technology. So that's a that's a great option as well when you're looking at targeted protein degradation, seeing uh, what proteins are being differentially ubiquitinated and even the sites of ubiquitination in response to treatment. And then the last thing that we also do is... IPMS-type experiments, right, where you're pulling down a, a particular protein, an antibody, or maybe you have a compound with a handle on it that you can pull down and see what proteins are binding to that compound, binding to that protein of interest in your samples, and how does that binding change across
1: different treatments? I think the only thing that I would add to that is you know, with CSTs, PTM antibodies, they are compatible for Western blasts. So, for people that don't have an idea of what type of PTMs are sort of engaged in this in the in the mechanism or in the disease progression, you can survey a number of these PTM antibodies on using under Western blood conditions to find what, where you see modulation of a particular PTM, whether it be you know a, a serine three e motif, ubiquitin modulation lysine, phosphotyrosine, um, and then that way you can quickly hone in on those PTMs that are that where you see maximum changes, and follow up with a uh, a proteomic experiment to discover those new sites or those sites that are modulated. Fantastic.
0: All right, another good question here: Can your proteomic service use FFPE clinical samples? And do you also provide service for surface or membrane protein extraction followed by MS for uh, clinical samples? Yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll jump on this one. So uh, the short answer is yes. We've worked out
2: some really nice methods for doing total proteome analysis on FFPE samples. And we've actually done some, some comparisons, taking the same material, splitting it, doing half fresh, fresh frozen, the other half FFPE. And we've shown that you get just about as much data, probably 95 to 98% of the pep, the proteins identified from the FFPE samples that you got from the fresh frozen. So you're getting a high quality data set from those FFPE samples, which is really great. We're starting to look at, is it possible to do PTM work from those FFPE samples? So be on the lookout for new and exciting directions there in FFPE. And then for the the membrane, yeah. So Jeff had a, a slide or two uh, earlier in his talk where we do have some proprietary methods for membrane enrichment and then total proteome analysis. Really powerful that it gives you about twice as many proteins with a cell surface or membrane ontology compared to a regular total proteome analysis. So you're able to get better depth of coverage of those membrane proteins, see what's on the cell surface, and, and make uh, quantitative comparisons across your
1: samples as well. I think the only thing I'll add to that is that comment about Be On The Lookout will uh, we'll make an effort to get something posted soon to give, a, give people a sense of how many proteins we're able to identify from those FFPE-type samples. I'd look for that within a month or so. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. Glad to hear that uh, you still get such good quality data from it.
0: All right, next question here. So, Somebody said they're interested in multiple PTMs to help understand drivers for a particular disease model system. Uh, would this mean that I would need to increase the amount of sample to cover the different PTMs? You know, phosphotyrosine, phosphoserine, threonine, and
1: acetylation. I'll go ahead and start with this, but I think Matt will also have some some comments on here. But you know, depending on the, the PTMs of interest, we are able to perform sequential enrichments. So, which means that. You do not necessarily have to grow or scale up more sample. We can take the flow through from say a PY enrichment and pass that through beads for like acetyl lysine, for example, or ubiquitin. So that allows you to, for samples that are primary cells or or cells that are difficult to work with, don't necessarily have to scale that up to triple or or double the amount uh, for a a typical analysis. I'll let Matt go ahead and add his comments as well to that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So doing those sequential enrichments, that's something that we do all the time. The only kind of restriction that we put on that internally is we say, you really want to be looking at different PTMs when you're doing those sequential enrichments. So, you know, doing, you can set up a whole workflow, phosphotyrosine, acetyl lysine, ubiquitin, methylation of arginine, right? And do all of those sequentially on the same material. The only other thing that I'd I'd add is on the sample requirements. So our new version of PTM scan, our new version of this method where we cut to peptides and enrich and then run mass spec, this PTM scan, HS we call it. We've actually designed that to allow for lower sample amounts. And in fact, most of those we've validated at one milligram of input protein rather than 10 or 15 or 20 that we were using in the the old days. So that's another big advantage is, and, and kind of opens up this analysis to a lot more sample types, being able to use less material for
0: each enrichment. Yeah, great. All right, does the PTM scan technology make it
1: possible to increase the factor impact of a publication? <laughs> I guess I could um, I could take a stab at this one. I would say that you know, given that you're able to utilize the antibody, the PTM antibody, to hone in on the specific biology, it will help you uncover those novel sites that that may be unique to your model system, and therefore you know, with those results, could justify that that work being published in a high impact um, journal. Without that enrichment, it would be more difficult to reveal that from a, a, an MS experiment. And so that's that's my need, my immediate response. I'm sure there are other, uh, but Matt, Matt can add to that. I'm...
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess we can't. We can't guarantee anything. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it, like Jeff said, you know, the it's, it's the ability to get those unique answers from doing these more specific enrichments that you might not get from just a regular total proteome or just an iMac enrichment for phospho. And then also, you know, getting to, I would say, actionable data faster. Right. So, doing that, you know, you're doing something that perturbs tyrosine signaling, <clears throat> being able to get a really in-depth look of what's going on, what changes are happening to thousands of, you know, tyrosine phosphorylated sites is really powerful and really will, I think, kick up the impact of, of you know, the, the research that you're doing uh, and help get you to answers faster.
1: I'll add one more thing to that um, and that this, re- I, I refer the, the person who asked the question to look at the, at the article, um, the Serine 3, the, the SU-11274 Storosporin article that I referenced in the talk. If you look in that publication, you'll see also um, a, a plot of the protein changes that happened in that drug treatment with the MKN45 cells. And what you'll see in that plot between control and treatment for both drugs is there are not many proteins that change. So if you were doing a protein-centric method, you would not reveal much biology there uh, if if you just looked in that direction. Yet having done the other PTMs, we uncovered a number of proteins and modification sites that were regulated by those those drug treatments. That's just sort of an example of if you're doing an experiment and there's a rich amount of of data that is relevant to the biology, that will help you, um, you know, build up that story for that high-impact paper. Yeah, great answer. All right, so what experimental strategy would you recommend
0: to compare cell secretomes, especially in treatment conditions that result in differences in cell number, Uh, for example, comparing monoculture and co-culture? Yeah, sure.
2: So you know we've done some secretome type experiments before, and I think you can get really interesting data from it. I think the <clears throat> what what the question is kind of leading to or asking about is you know what's the proper way to try and normalize across samples when you're doing these kind of experiments. Uh, another great example of this is you may have treatments that make big changes to cell size, right? And so you know. Protein content, so normally we normalize and just have the same amount of total protein for each condition that we go into these experiments, right? And for 90% of the studies that we do, that is an appropriate way to normalize across samples. There are other ways to normalize across samples. So if you do a cell count before the samples are, are sent or before the samples are processed, we can normalize by cell count. And we can actually <clears throat> look at these things even after the data has been processed. You can apply different normalization strategies and look and see where is your data appropriately centered. We also include controls when we're doing these type of analyses. We came out with this, this whole set of uh, control peptides. These are really cool that uh, it's three peptides for each PTM and you spike them in before you do your enrichment. And now after you do their enrichment, when you run the mass spec, you can see the signal from those three peptides. They're heavy isotope labeled, so you can distinguish them from the endogenous peptides. And you can really get a a nice measure for how consistent that enrichment was across all the samples. So that's another great tool for making sure that everything was nice and consistent across your samples, you've normalized in a proper way, and that you're getting, again, reliable, actionable data out of the study.
0: Excellent. We were talking about sequential enrichment maybe a question or two ago. But does sequential enrichment have any disadvantages to it?
1: I would say that um, from a quantit, if if the question I think is sort of looking into whether or not there's a you're sacrificing the quantitation, and we can tell you that we've done many of these types of studies, and as long as you choose the right PTMs and they don't overlap. It will not have any detrimental effect on the the quantitation. In terms of disadvantage, other disadvantage, maybe, you know, you are limited in terms of how, what you're able to do for sequential. So, for instance, you might not want to do similar serine-threonine motifs together because you may deplete out in that first pass the motif in that second pass. So that's where you sort of need to plan for the experiment. And for that particular example, where you want to probe a related motif, you may need to scale up and run that as an independent enrichment.
2: Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think, you know, we always try and set up those sequential enrichments to look at different PTMs. I mean, there was an example, this is going way, way back now, but we did sequential enrichments with two serine threonine motif antibodies that had different motifs, right? One had, for example, an arginine at minus three and then phosphoserine threonine. The other one had proline at plus one. Uh, But what we saw was that some of the peptides were actually depleted from that second enrichment because they had an arginine at minus three and a proline at plus one. And so that's why we always feel safer to say, okay, you can do a phospho then you can do an acetyl. Then you can do ubiquitin and methyl. As long as you're looking different
1: PTMs, there really is no disadvantage. Yeah. and The other, I guess, the other thing I would add here, and this has been done. It was actually done in that paper um, with the SU11274 and Stornsporen. If there are related motifs, we you can actually formulate the enrichment to include those serine three motifs you want to capture. And so rather than running them as separate. IPs, you could make a cocktail of those motifs that you want to um, focus on as, and, and do that as a single enrichment. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah, great answer. What advantage
0: is there to utilize PDM scan methodologies for biomarker discovery as opposed to global protein profiling or IMAC methods?
2: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think we talked a little bit about, you know, the the, the total proteome and, and Jeff gave an example from that paper of, you know, not much is, you know, you're doing this early time point, not much is changing on the, the protein level. IMAC is another thing that we like and we do a lot. It's really a great way to get a broad survey with a single enrichment of serine, threonine, phosphorylation. But we've seen plenty of examples. And the, the most obvious of these is, is tyrosine, where you just simply don't get good depth of coverage of low abundance proteins or low stoichiometry sites with that IMAC analysis, right? It's great for a broad survey when you need the depth of coverage, like with tyrosine, you really need to be doing that more specific enrichment. So I think that's the real power of these. But I'll tell you, a lot of people will do both or will do all three, right? So we do plenty of projects where people will do phosphotyrosine to get the depth of that uh, signaling space, They'll do an IMAC enrichment to get breadth and get, you know, a more global survey of serine-threonine phosphorylation without going too deep. And then a total proteome analysis to see what's happening to protein levels in the background.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.